0: Are in James chapter 2. Like I was saying moments before, uh, this all... I've been waiting for this part in our study in James, specifically for the passage we're getting into this evening. Last week was sort of a cursory overview as far as how this verse, how this passage is commonly looked at, used, interpreted. And we've, we also talked a little bit how bad interpretation leads to bad application. And so if we go to the word of God and we interpret it incorrectly, we're going to subsequently apply it to our life incorrectly. For instance, in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi writes that God says, uh, bring your tithes into into the temple. And if you do, I will pour out a window of blessing. And so what a lot of people in the church believe is if you give tithes to the church, God is going to automatically financially bless you. That is not what Malachi is talking about at all for the church age today. He's talking to Israel during the covenantal period under the Mosaic law. And so when you get a bad interpretation, you're going to apply it. Hey, if I give my tithe to the church, the church, I'm going to be blessed by God. I'm going to have all my bills paid. Then guess what? If your bills don't get paid because you believed a bad interpretation, now you're questioning, did I have enough faith? Did I give enough money? Is God really going to keep up his end of the bargain? That's bad application. Once you understand what Malachi meant, we'll understand how to apply it today. That's the same thing with this passage in James chapter two, verses fourteen through twenty-six. Now we're only going to cover fourteen through twenty this morning or this evening. I keep getting the days and the nights mixed up. But first, when we talked about last week, there's this controversy people bring up between Paul and James. Paul and James. Paul teaches justification by faith alone. He uses Romans chapter 4 and many others, Galatians 2. We saw that a man is not justified by works, period, that. But then we get here in James chapter 2. It says in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? And it says in 22, how faith wrought with his works, and works was made perfect. And then he says, you see in verse 24 how that by works man is justified and not by faith only. And so some people say James teaches you have to have works to be justified. Paul says you don't have to have works to be justified. There's this controversy. So last week we looked at who's right. Well, guess what? Turns out they are both right. And this part of the study actually next week is going to reveal how can they both be right if it seems like they're talking about opposing Views, And I'll tell you a little hint, spoiler alert, there are not opposing views. There are different views once we understand it from scriptural lens. Arnold Frutenbaum points out that there are five differences between Paul and James. Basically, he points out, number one, Paul teaches the way of justification, while James teaches the life of the justified. Arnold Fruitbaum says Paul talks about the works of the law, whereas James talks about the works of love and faith. Paul talks about justification, meaning acquittal from a charge, whereas James talks about justification is vindication of an action. Uh, Paul talks about ways of salvation, while James talks about kinds of faith. And then Paul talks about wor- against works as a means of salvation, but he points out that James talks about works as a revelation of salvation. Now, I do have some issues and concerns with how Dr. Fruitbaum points some of these things, in its rudimentary understanding, they seem okay, but what tends to happen, especially like the one on the bottom right, works as revelation of salvation. Some people will say, if you're saved, you have to have works and do good works to reveal the fact that you're a genuine Christian. If you don't have good works, you are not a genuine Christian, and you need to get resaved. I bring this up only to show that even Arnold Frutenbaum does not see a contradiction between the two people. Rather, he sees them speaking about two different things, if you will. we'll look at that next week. So recap of James's letter so far. This is something I've done time and time again. Overview. What did we already talk about? What did we already talk about? Why? Because understanding this letter was a letter written in its entirety 2,000 years ago given to a particular audience. So we have got to understand the letter in its entirety to know what certain passages mean. We looked at the fact that the first part was talking about having joy in trials. Remember, these were Christians being persecuted for their faith. They lost their homes, their jobs, their families. He also talked about not giving in to temptations in what I call ethical situations talked about being willing for introspection. Have the Word of God, have the Holy Spirit reveal some dirt on our face and see, should we change? Is it accurate? And what do I need to do to change? We looked at the fact that you are blessed by listening and heeding the Word of God and the Spirit's prompting. We looked at the fact that true and unadulterated religion or piety or reverence is to visit the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows in their affliction. We've seen that verses 1 through 11, we are not supposed to have partiality or play favorites. If there's somebody that's rich that comes into our church and somebody that's a homeless person, we should not have the homeless person stand in the back while the rich gets the best seat in the house. That is not what we're supposed to do as Christians. Everything we just talked about and looked in the letter, it's all practical Christian living. Nothing James has said so far has anything to do with eternal life, or salvation, spiritual salvation. Now, when we're getting into chapter 2, verse number 14, James writes, What does the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, let me ask you the question. We're going to recap this, but can faith save you? Can your faith alone save you? Thoughts? No? Who says no? Trick question? All right, just keep that thought in the back of your mind, okay? So what I want to bring up real quick is a big, fancy word called antinomianism. How many people have heard of antinomianism? Okay, the prefix anti, anti means against, okay? Nomianism is nomos, comes from nomos, the law. In essence, antinomianism is a view, a teaching against the law. We've seen how it's been defined throughout history and the fact that in the 16th century, there was a religious group that brought, came up and they started teaching because Christ died on the cross and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, that the law serves no purpose whatsoever, that there's no need to even have good works. So you can see the definitions. What happens is people that are labeled as free grace theology like me in this church we teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, and that's it. They'll automatically label us as antinomian, saying because we believe we're saved by faith alone, there's no purpose for the law, there's no purpose for obedience, and they want to put us in this group. But what tends to happen is that is what's known as a straw man fallacy because what free grace teaches is not that there is no purpose for the law. It's merely the fact that the law does not save. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So people within free grace that teach this, and as we're gonna see, faith alone is the only way to be positionally justified by God. It's the only way to go to heaven. Works play no role in showing, maintaining, obtaining, or keeping your salvation. Works has nothing to do with that. The moment we get saved, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, and we are never going to be plucked out of the Father's hand. Jesus says we will never perish at the moment of salvation. And so, a lot of times they will charge us for teaching this aspect that, oh, you teach a license to sin then. You teach the fact that since you're saved by faith alone, you don't have to fulfill the law. So you teach, you have a license to sin. Well, you know what? You don't need a license to sin. You don't. Anybody can sin with or without a license. Right, Gabe? Right. <laughs> That's why I asked if you were going to go be here tonight. So here we can see Gabe has a license to sin. But you don't need a license to sin. So what they're doing is they're trying to paint a word picture in our mind. while back I talked about uh, McNamara fallacy and outliers. We looked at how people will charge free grace as teaching. Somebody can get saved, live like the devil, and still go to heaven. What they tend to do is they use emotions to invoke a response. They're like, yeah, if somebody turned into a Satanist or whatever, yeah, there's no way a Satanist can go to heaven. So they're trying to evoke an emotional response to get you to agree with their position. I have that video out there if anybody wants to look into it. It's the same way with this. It's a word picture, a license to sin, to say that if you believe a faith alone message, then you're just teaching people can just sin and they'll have no repercussions whatsoever. The officer pulls me over, like, can I see your license? I'm like, I got a license to sin. He's like, okay, you're free to go. That's not how it works. But that's what a lot of opponents will teach. And so what the whole purpose of tonight is explaining why we need the works as a Christian. And then next week we'll look at, do works actually justify the Christian? And we'll talk about that aspect as well. Free grace is not antinomian because there is truly a need to obey the law. We do not obey the law to have salvation, to get salvation or to keep salvation. We obey the law so that we can have good works. People can see our good works and glorify God. We fulfill the law as best as possible and do good works because Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We try to love one another as best as possible so that the world can see that we are disciples or in other words, followers of Jesus Christ. There is definitely a need for every single Christian to do good works. But it is not to have salvation. It is to go ahead and do good works because of salvation. To point other people to Christ. To go ahead and be somewhat of a revelation if you will, of the good works that God is doing through us. You see, here in this passage, James asks seven rhetorical questions. Can faith save him? What doth it profit? Will you know faith without works is dead? Was it not Abraham justified by works? See how works was made perfect. See how by works a man is justified. Was not Rahab justified by works? I give you the answers to these rhetorical questions. No, no nothing? Yes, 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 yes. Those are the answers to this rhetorical question. And we're going to step through this. All right. So when we're looking at this, we're going to answer these rhetorical questions. So first, everybody liked my stick figure drawings last time. So I want to use them again tonight. Can faith alone save somebody according to James's letter? Can faith alone? Let's read these verses in 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? The rhetorical answer to that question is a no. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warm and filled, notwithstanding ye give him not the things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? It says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Those are rhetorical questions with those rhetorical answers. According to James, what he's saying is, can faith alone save somebody? No, it can't. But... We have to ask the question, saved from what? We always have to ask that question. Whether it's talking about fire, whether it's talking about judgment, whether it's talking about saved, we have to ask, saved from what? If James is saying, can faith alone save somebody positionally to go to heaven? And he says, no, it can't. Yes, he he straight up contradicted Paul because Paul said, by the works you know, man isn't justified, it's only by faith alone. What's happening is we have to ask, saved from what? Positionally, we are saved by faith alone. Now, this is where I need thinking caps on. When we talk about positional justification, positional righteousness, positional sanctification, the word positional means a position, a placement. When we're talking about positionally saved, we're talking about saved and being placed into the family of God. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 3 through 5, Galatians 2, 16, and all else in his epistles, that we are positionally placed in Christ's family by faith alone. That's it. What James is saying is, can faith alone save somebody practically? Practically. You remember when we just talked about the overview of James? Everything from the first verse all the way up to where we are, partiality, temptations, and ethical situations and all that. That was all practical Christian living. What James is asking is, can faith alone save somebody practically speaking? And that's where his answer is no. He's not saying faith alone will not give you eternal life. He's saying, well, faith alone without works keep you from being disciplined, chastised, rebuked at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what he's talking about. Now, again, when we see the word saved, we talked about this a few weeks back with covenant theology. People that are reformed, they believe a covenant theology, hermeneutic. Every time they see the word "save," They want to look at it as far as eternal salvation, eternal life. But we have to look at it within its context. Again, this is a letter James wrote to a particular audience. So we have to look at it in context. How did James use the word save within this letter as a whole? Well, he uses it five times. He talks about being saved from discipline, physical salvation from evil works, saved by, from physical healing, and then saved by physical death. Every other time James uses the word "save" in this letter, it's talking about physical salvation. Has nothing to do with eternal life. He is not talking about will faith alone without works save somebody and will they have eternal life? That's not his point. He's talking about will faith alone without works save somebody from discipline. Will faith alone without works have them be able to be saved from physical healing? What about death of a believer? If you have faith, but you don't have works, for instance, if I'm a Christian, right? And so if I don't do good deeds and I'm going getting drunk every, every, every day, every night, and I'm doing drugs every day, just because I have faith and I'm a Christian, because I'm not doing good works, I'm doing evil works, I'm getting drunk all the time, I have really bad liver, I'm doing drugs, I'm probably gonna die, So my faith alone is not going to save me physically from the consequences I'm going to receive. That's what James is talking about. This whole passage has to be looked at from a physical salvation standpoint, not spiritual, because that is not what James is talking about. If you remember back in chapter one, verse number 21, there is this discussion as far as receiving with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. We talked about that. We talked about the illumination of the Holy Spirit and the word of God into our lives and how it can protect us and give us the right path. We looked at verses 26 and 27 talking about what is real pure religion? What is good religion look like? What does good reverence of God look like? And this is what James had to say. It's doing good works and actions. That's what pure religion looks like. It doesn't mean that's what all salvation looks like. That doesn't mean that's what all Christians do. He says, if you want to have the truest sense of your faith, the best blessings of your faith, this is what it looks like doing these good things and these good works. And so when we get to this passage tonight, we have to realize the ultimate focus is on the physical need. I don't know why so many people overlook this aspect. When James is talking, he's talking about helping the poor, helping the homeless in this situation. You can see it's bookend. That illustration that he uses is bookend with, What does it even profit? If I say I have faith, if I say I'm a Christian, and when we were stationed in South Dakota and there was a lot of homeless people out there, if part of me doing good works is to let my light shine upon men, men, among men, so that people may see my good works and glorify God, if that's part of the reason why I'm supposed to do good works, then when I'm out there and we see homeless people, then I should probably try to reach out to them and help them and take care of them. You know, if the Lord is leading me to do so, I should sort of put feet to my faith because otherwise my faith there isn't profiting that person. And I'll give you a little hint too, it's not profiting me either. So this part is all about what profit is your faith have with you and with other people. Do people know you're a Christian? Are you using your Christian faith to profit somebody else? Are you trying to encourage them and build them up with words of God and just point them to the Savior? Are we trying to use our Christian faith to profit another person by giving benevolently in a need? Maybe there's somebody that has a financial need, and Lord, put it on your heart to help that person financially. That's the profitability of the faith he's talking about. So who does your— faith profit. Number one, clear as day, we can see here in verse uh, 15 and 16, our faith should profit other people. Okay? So, one of the main reasons of our Christian faith is to help, to be a light. And if we are not being that light, it doesn't mean we're not saved. It's that our faith is not profiting other people. The other person that profits is yourself as well. We see this in verse number twi- 25. Whoso looks at the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being, a fr- being not a forgetful hearer but a doer, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You and I are Christians. We are called to have an active faith, to do good works, so that people may see them and glorify God one day you and I will stand before the person that took the nails on the cross for us. We will physically stand in front of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, if Jesus Christ looks at us and he says, because of your faith in me, you did all these wonderful things for me with the right motive, great is your reward. But there may be some Christians there stands before Jesus Christ at that time and it's like, you had faith in me. But your faith was, you were like a hermit. Your faith didn't profit anybody. You didn't take your faith and serve. You didn't take your faith, your talent. You buried it in the sand as opposed to scattering it. You lose the rewards. That's what James is talking about. What does it profit? gives this illustration. If somebody's naked and destitute of food, so they're hungry, they're homeless, they don't have clothes, and you don't give them what they need and you know you can provide it, and you know God is telling you to provide it, but you don't, and you just say be warm and filled. God be with you. But we don't help them. What does it profit? Our faith, and that's the title of the series, should be active to help other people. You see, this is interesting because we gotta remember the background of the book of James. The book of James is written to who? Jewish people that are scattered abroad because of their faith in Jesus as Messiah. So what's happening? Most likely what is happening is the fact that these people may have been more focused on self-preservation than they were reaching out to the community. Regardless of how much persecution they were receiving, maybe they turned into a hermit as well when they were trying to take care of themselves and they neglected the other people. And he said, if you have this faith, you should still be seeking to help other people. If anything, like Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse number four, I believe it is, that the God of all comfort comforts us with comfort. Why? So that we may comfort others. Some of the times the struggles we're going through, God is allowing it, sometimes giving it, so that his comfort, we can comfort other people and encourage them that are going through the same struggles. An active faith. But see, here in this verse, he says that if we don't do these things, we have a dead faith. Faith minus works is a dead faith. It's right there in Scripture. It says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. We can have a dead faith as far as a Christian is concerned. Now, I think it was last week, we talked about John MacArthur, Jeremiah, we talked about Alistair Begg. We looked at how they interpreted a dead faith. They looked at a dead faith as somebody that is spiritually dead, as somebody that is not even saved I've said this probably like 12 times in the six weeks we've been in James. Put yourself in their shoes. Again, bad interpretation, bad application. You were one of these Jewish people. Lost everything. Lost your family, lost your job because of your faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And then God says, because you don't take care of that homeless person, you're not even a Christian. That is popular teaching today. Today. That's bad interpretation. By viewing that, now we're like, wow, I just lost my family, my job, my money, everything I had because of you. And now you're saying, if I don't take care of this homeless person, I'm not even saved? That's what these popular teachers and preachers are teaching, unfortunately. And that is totally contrary to what James is actually talking about. If someone told me that, I'd look at God and be like, really, God? Uh, I know you're sovereign and everything, but if this is what you're going to say, why do I even want to be in the family? That to me would be a logical conclusion if that teaching was true. But thank God it's not because that's not what James is saying. So what is a dead faith? If it doesn't mean that we're not saved, what is a dead faith? Well, I just used one reference. This is out of Thayer's lexicon. So Thayer was... A theologian scholar, he put together uh, the Greek language and he made a, a range of definitions for each Greek word. And if you were to look at a lexicon, uh, you can look at a bunch of them, BDAG, you can look at Thayer's, and there's a lot of others. It'll say what the Greek word is and how it can be used. And then sometimes like Thayer's, it'll actually say this is what I really believe this word means in this particular passage. So here you can see in James 2:17. Faith alone without works is dead. I would agree with him here because he is saying it's destitute of force, it's inactive, it's inoperative. Within the range of meanings for the word dead, it could mean physically dead, it could mean spiritually dead, it could mean rendered useless and inoperative and inactive. That is what James is talking about. That if we don't have good works, our faith is profiting nobody and our faith is really inactive because we're not helping and using it like Jesus had taught us. Yeah, Will? Kind of like a, right. So it's just You're right. You know, the illustration of lifting weights because anybody that's lifted weights before and Someone asked me earlier if I yeah asked me earlier if I go to the gym or work out, and I was like, of course I do. You know what you're talking about. But uh, if, if you don't go to the gym in a long time, you start lifting weights. Guess what? If you're doing arm curls and you haven't lifted in a long time, you do arm curls and, and you hit them hard. You're not going to be able to hold your arm more more straight than this. Remember that when I take a while, because trying to push it down always oh, it is horrible, excruciating pain. And then when you don't work out for a while, this is what happens. And you can't like scratch yourself and scratch your back and things like that. The whole purpose of lifting and building muscle, it rips your muscle and then it repairs it to get stronger and bigger. That's the process behind building muscle. And like you're saying, Will, if if you like me and you don't do PT and work out when you retire, You lose all your, you know, it it shrinks, if you will. You don't lose it all, you still have muscle in there in the human anatomy, but it deteriorates. It gets weaker, if you will. And so that's that's a really good analogy, illustration that you're talking about. Only a Reformed covenant theologian, somebody that holds to that hermeneutic will ever come away with the fact that this means spiritually dead. The biggest reason why I kept hitting on the background What's happening contextually is because that's how we're supposed to understand Scripture. That's how we're supposed to understand any body of literature. Faith without works is dead. Yes, it is inactive. It must have activity to profit other people. This is what Paul says in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. The word should there is very pivotal because that word should means we might not. That a Christian might not do the good works God has asked us to do. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It means that when we got saved, God wants us to do good works. And there are certain works he's asking you to do and not me. And that you should walk in them. But if you don't, it just means you have an inactive faith. And that's what he's getting at. Verses 18 through 20. So he brings up another aspect. Talk about 17, faith being without works is dead, being alone. And then verse 18, he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Again, the rhetorical question. Faith without works is dead. It is inactive. Our faith is meant to profit other people. It is meant to profit us us as well. And he says here, a lot of people want to point this out, that even the demons believe, but yet their belief doesn't produce works, so the demons can't be saved because their belief doesn't produce the good works. But there's a problem with that. Nothing in here is talking about the demons believing or not believing the plan of salvation. He's simply pointing out the fact that the devils believe in a monotheistic God. That's it. He says, you believe there's one God? So do the devils. He's not talking about eternal salvation here. He's not talking about spiritual salvation here. He's talking about knowledge that demons have that is not producing a good result in them. They fully believe in God. They know God's real. And what do they do? They shudder and they tremble. They cower. You see what happens with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so this is a big thing to realize because a lot of people will point this out. All the devils believe. It's not talking about eternal salvation. It's talking about the fact that the devils believe of a one, one God, but that belief is not producing any action on their part to do anything good with it. It has nothing to do with spiritual salvation. In a recap, I and mean, it's probably the quickest, so we'll open it up with questions, discussions, things like that. But a recap, remember context of James is talking about what pure religion looks like and how heeding the Word of God and the Spirit's driving provides physical salvation, physical from discipline, physical from death, physical from healing, not eternal salvation. He says in 14 and 16 that the main focus, as we talked about, was what does it even profit that you're a Christian? Are you a Christian living in a monastery or living like a hermit and nobody knows? Or are you a Christian that actually has an activity to your faith and it's actually profiting people? That's what it's about, the profitability of our faith. In verse 19, yes, the devils do believe God is real. They know God is real, but that belief is useless to them, because they're not doing taking any action, and it's again not profiting them or somebody else. And finally, a Christian's faith that has no works is dead, scripture says that, but it's not spiritually dead, it's dead in the fact that it is inactive, it's not being used, and it's profiting nobody. And so, in essence, I want to spend more time on it next week because we're going to get into that pretty hard next week. This first section of James 2 is pivotal. Because a lot of times what you're going to hear is faith without works is dead. If you don't have, fa- if you don't have works, you're not a genuine Christian. But when we understand it contextually within that passage, when we understand it within the entirety of the letter And we see that every time James uses the word save in his letter, it's always about physical salvation. This is not referring to faith without works means you're not a Christian. It goes back to verse 14. Was it even profit? So the question is, your faith, my faith, our declaration, profession of being a Christian, is it profiting anybody? First think inside, is it profiting me that I'm a Christian? Am I different today than I was last year? Am I closer to God today than I was last year? Think about your immediate family. Is my faith, the fact that I'm a Christian, influencing my spouse or my kids or my friends that I'm always around? Do they know I'm a Christian? Can I articulate God, Jesus, and answers to questions of scripture with my loved ones? Is it profiting those people? And then look, you know, church-wide. Start broadening it out. If I'm a Christian, is my Christian faith profiting the church body? As I preached last week and the fact that, or two weeks ago, every Christian has a spiritual gift. And those spiritual gifts are meant to be used for the body of Christ. If we're a Christian and we have a gift, are we using that gift for the body of Christ in service to God? Is our Christian faith profiting others in that regard? And again, like I said, our faith will profit two people, two groups, other people and ourselves. Because one day, you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's going to maybe lay out a roadmap of our Christian life. Did your Christian faith profit anybody, or did it not? Did you have a dead inactive faith or was it vibrant inactive? Now how that looks is different for each people as far as the influence and the realm and the sphere of influence people have but that's the biggest thing to take away. He's not questioning their eternal standing. He's questioning the activity of their faith. And so with that I want to pray and close the live stream and then Uh, Because microphones don't work well uh, on camera, we have a discussion, talk, Q&A, stuff like that. So let's pray. God, I thank you for James' letter and clarity of knowing that our eternal salvation and standing is predicated upon what you have done and not what I need to do or maintain. But Lord, I also understand that as a Christian, you desire for me and actually require of me to go ahead and do good works not to be saved but to go ahead and allow people to know of you and the change you made in my life and to help profit others so Lord just give me clarity as far as uh, where we need to adjust these things and make faith a priority and Lord I thank for your forgiveness in that regard as well thank you and we love you in Jesus name we pray Amen